I ordered some fancy uh, licorice from Sweden. And there was one where they said, don't eat more than 10 of these in a row for reasons you'll find out. <laughs> I never oh, found that's out. Like, there was like the Amazon review where it was for like a giant, like 10 kilogram bag of gummy bears or something. Mm. And it was like this incredibly poetic review, basically being like, I blew out my own asshole because I <laughs> ate too many of right. these at once. It's body time in Japan. Welcome to Insert Credit, the only show where a host of, not a host, a squadron, I don't know what it's called, <laughs> of cadre must, yes, a quadre, uh, must answer questions in six minutes or less or be smitten by a horrifying buzzer. Uh, I'm Brandon Sheffield, and my first Tokyo game show was 2003. Mm. And uh, now you must say your name and when your first Tokyo game show was. Uh, my name is Tina Carter, and my first real TGS was 2022. Excellent. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, I, I went for a public day once before that, but it was basically pop in, look around, and leave again because we were very poorly prepared. That doesn't count? I feel like that counts. That counts. My first t- TGS, I uh, didn't have a press pass. So. Okay, that would have been like 2013, 12, okay. or something. That's, no, that's more interesting. Uh, my name is Mark McDonald, and my first Tokyo game show would have been no fall Tokyo game show back when there were two a year oh, yeah. in 1997 or 98. I want to say 98. I think yours was probably 98 because I am John Riccardi and um, my first Tokyo game show was spring 1998. And I feel like you came uh, to okay. the one like that was before everyone else started coming. Right. I was like, uh, yeah. I was like with the Ed Semrad days and stuff. I couldn't remember if I came before. It was definitely my first one in the industry. Sure. Sure. That's true. You may have been there before just as like, Fan. It's a long time ago. Back when we used to cover it for the media, back when printed twenty five years trees, ago. they would cut down trees, <laughs> yeah. and press them, and sell these things called magazines that talked about video games. I did it for that too. Yeah, Ga- that's right. Game Developer Magazine. Back that's in the day. right. So, uh, as you may have heard, this is a bunch of people from the Eight Four Play podcast. Yay! And we are we're doing a podcast exchange. That's right. So, <laughs> a pod swap. I haven't told you all this, but oh, no. these same questions will also be asked. To the panel back home, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a oh man, okay, a Japan versus U.S. sort of a thing. I'm not sure if this one's airing first or second, but okay, the pressure is on. So All it's right. not a contest or anything, but don't mess up, you guys. Exactly, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> right. So let's get straight on into it. The first question is: How has Japanese corporate culture manifested itself in the history of game development? Ooh, Japanese corporate culture embedded itself in the game industry. Manifested itself. Manifested so, itself. So, like, for example, I can, I can give a, an example of a certain company, uh, which I will not name, but may have mentioned before by accident, used to have multiple teams working on similar third-person action games right. using completely different totally engines, different engines. Mm. and having secret project names that the two teams couldn't tell each other. <laughs> Right. Or like, you're on Project K, oh, I'm Project J, and that's it. Well, Nintendo famously pitted Yamuchi, the old president, CEO, 
pitted teams against each other like very openly and uh yeah it was it was it was just a thing to try to get the best out of people that believed it was like to have people really feel like they were they were in competition um yeah microsoft tried to do that for a while too and it went super poorly <laughs> yeah doesn't seem like the greatest idea personally but this isn't particularly japanese other than the fact that it happened in a japanese company but like i do know there was this one one a game developer in particular where they would change the whole staff's emails like every 6 months to avoid oh, yes. them Oh, getting yeah. poached and uh, I'll say that that was Konami as far as I know. <laughs> well, I, I'll say I, that too. It, it was it was also a mix of just to, so people know it wasn't like Mark McDonald and then Mark Mac and Mark Mac D. It no. was like E497. It was like a password. It was like you were signing up for, for Twitter for the first time. <laughs> right. Exactly. It was like trying to make it complicated to remember even if you wanted to. They also took screenshots randomly of while people were working throughout the day to see what they were working yeah. on and make sure that they were working on. Well, that's a track people cool coming stuff. in and out of the building you'd have to ask for permission to make copy of something like it was just very like this is a long time ago mind this you, is when so. they were making some of the best regarded yeah. games in the industry yeah. at the time by the way it right. was it was not not a recent thing um i heard of, of other japanese producers which who are kind of the hold all the power on a Japanese team. The use term is used. It's kind of more like a, I don't know, like a creative director, executive producer or whatever yeah. in the, in the West, but producers here would have total carte blanche decision-making uh, on the product projects right down to whether they came out on a platform or not. And there was not a justification necessarily like a business justification for it. It was like, Oh, well I'm friends with so-and-so or I like this system or whatever. Yeah. Like a lot of decision-making, I feel like this is an older thing, but like the Capcom, what was it? The Capcom six or whatever, the game Capcom, Cube five. That they announced, Capcom yeah. five, whatever this has come out since then, but it was a lot of relationship stuff between people at Capcom and people at Nintendo. And there was like things about like, well, we're going to give you a free memory card to pack in with it. It was a lot of like, Backroom wheeling and dealing that didn't make like logic on a PL sheet, but it was for like obscure corporate reasons and relationship reasons. And I feel like that is, in a sense, like very Japanese corporate culture. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid to start a new new uh, thing here with your timer. You got me all scared. No, it's uh, fine. You no, got no, two no, and a half yeah, minutes. We need a big 24 clock on the wall. <laughs> the counting down to tell us how much time is left here. Yeah. Yeah, but I do. I think a lot of that, you know, has eased up over the years too, right? I feel like, you know, since the not the advent of the internet, but I think since like social media went mainstream and and people have become capable of sharing information more easily, um, a lot of practices that were sort of really weird or outdated or whatever, it was very it was easier for people to make that known to their bosses and whatnot. And things are kind of smoothing out like a lot more compared to you know like ten or twelve years ago. Yeah, and this is getting into really sexy podcast territory, but like corporate governance in Japan really hasn't existed. So like the the there's boards, but they don't you don't really have to answer to them. Like, wait, why aren't you putting this out on on Steam? Like, or what is this PC market? Or yeah. why are you putting? Yeah, so I mean, you can't really fire anybody. And then there's that. That is true. And then there's which that, is, which is good and bad. And and I was I was just wondering the other day, like I was I was watching this salary man guy kind of slumping on the train, and it's like. This guy can't get fired. <laughs> why, why is he working himself to death? Mm, right. If, if we had that in the U.S., people would uh, would not be whole assing it. It is interesting. Yeah, the pluses and minuses of that whole. You really do have to show that your company is like going out of business 
do to this person in order to fire. You can't just say, oh, project's over. We're going to fire those 30 people and then maybe we'll rehire them later or whatever like you can. But you can hire a bunch of temp workers and make them work too much. So that's a huge outgrowth of what... And then you have this big shadow industry behind the gaming industry that is temp workers that they can do that too, that they can just say, okay, yeah. you're only going to work for us for nine months or whatever. But then if you find a great person, they move on to the, to the next uh, project and like which projects get the available and the best of the roving temp workers is like a big, a big thing here. I mean, yeah. Oh shit. Is, is it happening? That's time. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> just started getting good. Oh, <laughs> corporate governance talk. We That's took up all our six minutes with all that <laughs> sexy corporate governance talk. It gives us every time. Here's one that may or may not be easier. Uh, what are Japanese arcades like right now? I, I can't imagine Ooh. you all are going to them a lot right now. But Where they exist anymore, they're very much decreasing. It's just different. I mean, I, I do have one near my apartment, oddly enough, but it's more like it's the like upper floor of a... Um, amusement center i guess one of the it used to be one of those um sega ones that got bought by what are they called now gigo? Is it gigo gigo yeah, yeah there's a gigo and the whole first floor is just um you know the the machines the the the, the crane UFO catchers yeah crane machines and then the second floor though is a full-on proper arcade but it's largely you know music games and like you know like taiko no tatsujin or like uh all the bimani stuff there's a lot of like the new, I don't know what to call the genre, the hand motion music game yeah. genre. Yeah. Those those games. Where, where you're like wiping down a washing machine is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All kinds of physical movements and activities, yeah. You're doing like para para dancing, basically simulating it. And like those games never, besides random like Dave and Buster's probably on the West Coast, like a lot of those games never make it outside of Japan. Well, yeah. we have Round One in the US That's now. That's right. And uh, Round One is a Osaka-based company and i've never actually been to a round one here though i have seen them mm. i see it when you when i pass by on the train from makuhari over to here uh from tokyo game show mm. wait i'm really interested to hear what the round one is like over there is it bowling there is bowling there's bowling there's karaoke rooms and there's uh two dollar kirin pints which is uh unfindable oh. elsewhere and there is a bunch of japanese arcade games and a lot of games that are brought over from Japan that aren't localized yet as well. So you could play like Gunslinger Stratos when it wasn't. I mean, I guess it never really truly came out here. But they do have a lot of the wipe down a washing machine games. They have interesting. They have Groove Coaster. They have a bunch of those. So yeah, it's it's actually really neat, and it reminds me of the arcade culture of the '90s because you, you've got people who clearly went to these arcades in the past. Now bringing their their kids there and being and being like enjoy this please <laughs> please right. like this you're not allowed to dislike this activity <laughs> yeah. get used to it you have to have fun here yeah I think the the, the like print club picture taking things ate a lot of the, the arcade space UFO catchers a lot of things that you can tell used to be arcades now are just gotcha ball machines or the the UFO catchers um, what's left is a lot of those types of games the 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 hand wavy music games of different of different kinds, the B many kind of games, fighting games. Usually, when they'll have some, they'll have some fighting games. They'll have a few shooting games, like old school side scrolling, vertical scrolling shooters, that type of stuff. You can't smoke in arcades anymore. You used to be able to. That took a long time to to stop uh, here. I mean, that's older arcades, but that was very much a thing, right? For years and years and years, like it, you you didn't go in an arcade and not expect to be come out smelling like smoke, but that was just part of yeah. the, part and of the they were getting culture. squeezed, and then Corona really the the COVID years really 
knocked a lot of them off that was already like the, the, the decreasing numbers. And so, yeah, it is, I mean, it's pretty rare. There used to be one near every station, at least one near every station yeah. in Japan, especially in the late nineties, early two thousands. And now it's like, I feel pretty rare to have a station that has, uh, that yeah, has we were, one. We, we were thought we were very lucky to have stumbled upon one near our apartment, but it upsets me because those crane games, I have probably spent like a decent chunk of money trying to get a stuffed Kirby or something. And I, you never <laughs> ever win. Like you probably, have to play like 10 times like to actually because like they're just they're so rigged, rigged. To, like not they are rigged but i mean you know do you enjoy the act of trying to get it even I if do, you don't because win? i do know sooner or later one lucky fool is going to actually get the kirby but you know it's, it's <laughs> but not it won't be it's you. actually cheaper to just buy it on medicati the, the like uh you know the um it's like an online basically they not, have medicati they have medicati in oh yeah they have Mer- Mer- americari i don't know how you pronounce it in yeah. english but <laughs> yeah on nfl they're like americari it's actually great we don't actually but uh, we should you should yeah but yeah it's easy it's cheaper to just buy it off there you know first from somebody who won it than it is to that's try why and, they do it that's why it makes money it's not like the yakuza games where you just go in there and you can win yeah, basically every time works. yeah it actually <laughs> works yeah well something i've noticed there's more of these days is rich or otherwise space having persons making their own kind of vanity arcade situation out here. There's like, Mm. there's that pinball place that's clearly losing money. There used to be the, the um, warehouse in Kawasaki that had the Kowloon walled city thing. Just talking about that today, actually, uh, which was like the coolest arcade that ever existed in Shinsekai in Osaka. There's an American arcade, which is just all American arcades games. And they're only open two weekends a month. Whoa, American arcade what? games, meaning like games that were developed in the U.S. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So That's it's, crazy. It's like Pac-Man and Pong and right, uh, right. Narc. Miss Pac-Man, right? That's the American one. Yeah, Miss yeah, Pac-Man. Yeah. That's right. Nice. Uh, yeah. Whoops. Any any last comments? No. Okay, then we're gonna move along. Um, <laughs> there was an there was an amazing our favorite arcade that was right in the middle of Shibuya. I love that it place, had 50, man. Fifty games for fifty yen, which was yeah. incredibly rare. Games were expensive. Video games were ex- I should say were they they're not now, but like a hundred they've been a hundred yen for a long time. Yeah. Space Invaders was a hundred yen. Yeah, a long fucking time. That was in the late seventies, which is basically like a dollar. Back then it was like two dollars. Yeah, now it's seventy-five cents right now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question: Design an online multiplayer game where the mechanics are intended to incorporate international time zone differences. Well, that's been solved because Fantasy Star Online's Swatch system, uh, what the fuck, whatever. That, I'm sorry, <laughs> whatever that thing was called, has already solved this, right? It's uh, it's whatever, like two cat emojis. I forget the system of time that they came up with that everybody was going to use to coordinate across international time zones. Gabe probably remembers Gabe, who's off mic here, which is very helpful. I know you don't remember this. At no, all? I remember it. I remember it, it had it a name, but it did it. have a name. Ooh. Beats? Swatch time. Oh, yeah, it was Swatch time. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, Swatch time. What did that do exactly? Can you explain that? No, I don't even understand <laughs> it myself. It was just designed to, I don't even know if it did use like numbers. It used like numbers counted up to like 360 or something instead of, okay. It went to a thousand beats in a day and everybody could just agree on, you just had to know. So everyone was just like, it's currently 642. Yeah. You just looked at your swatch watch. Yeah, you, you had to, you had to, like, six o'clock didn't mean anything anymore. It was like, everyone would have their own idea of what 23 is. Like, yeah. for some people, that's the morning and some people, it's right. the evening. I it's see. Like, so oh, it's, we're meeting at 300 beats. So it's basically having an in-world clock that is the same for every player, regardless of their local time settings. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like games like Breath of the Wild sort of solve that, though, by just making 24-minute 
days in game and where, you know, where it, you can have like, you can understand the time because it's based on 24 hours, except one hour is one minute. And then I didn't realize that's what they did. So it's day and, day and night happens a lot more often, but whether, regardless of where you are in the world, it's never going to be so weird. So it's design an international uh, yeah, game. Yeah, so we, we've done a classic insert credit thing, which is actually to dodge the question entirely. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and what we're supposed to be doing is designing a game that takes international time differences into account mechanically. So like mm. we, we, we want to pay attention to international time. Uh, so like in my, in my game company, a bunch of the people are in Europe and some are in the U S and right now I'm in Japan. So I have no idea what day it is or what time yeah. it is for anybody. Yeah. But if we were to work that cycle, like for example, we could be, uh, we could be mining in a game 24 yeah. hours a day or somebody we could have shifts, right? Right. Somebody could be doing something at night in the game if it got, uh, um, actually, how about that? How about a game where you're in like a cabin uh, in the woods and you're some group is after you? You basically have to put people out at watch. And so if people, if everybody's asleep, you're just all going to get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. But you oh, have to you somehow be doing some tending. And then when the, when the people, the raiders come in, maybe it's like a Mad Max. So your team game. has to be comprised of people who live in different territories or who just never sleep. So that way, you know, when you're ready to go to bed, you hand it over to like uh, yeah. Simon over in the UK who takes over to the watch. Well, and some until- clans and things do this, right? Like what in Eve online or whatever, I think they have like shifts and stuff that you put in where people have to go on patrol or right. whatever to defend the, the horde or what have you. Yeah. I'm thinking about the, segment of Resident Evil 4 where you're with, what's his name, Garcia? Mm-hmm. And and there's like a long, unending wave of zombies and, and you, can, right, you, can cabin, like, yeah. you can board up the windows for the cabin. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if the wave was never ending mm-hmm. and, and you had to constantly... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although that wouldn't be very fun after. <laughs> <laughs> That's already like the most stressful 30 minutes of the entire game. Or it's true. I feel like very ill-equipped to answer this question in particular because cooperating with other people in video games is like my least favorite thing to possibly do. Well, what about destroying them in some way? It could also be that. You could be one of the raiders getting at the yeah, people. Yeah, there we go. Bang trying to kill uh, Oh, Lucas, so that Luis means I could play whenever I want and other people have to coordinate with each other yeah. to defend themselves against me. You could be the X Factor. See, to me, that just says that everybody's going to want to play as the killer. Mm-hmm. Why would you not want to play that? There's there's always people that want to there's role playing type people there's people that want to be lawful good mm-hmm. you know I I don't choose the jerk option in a video game ever so never ever no I not I'm even just, to find out what'll happen I can watch it on YouTube later if I want that's fair the only time I'm ever interested is if it seems like it's going to be funny okay that's good that makes a lot of sense that sounds very similar to how I approach that stuff I mean there's yeah. definitely all types of players out there there's like this, the people that want to just organize things there's yeah, get the unpacking people to to, to set all, there you go uh, the unpacking players to to set all the, the boards up next to each other next to the windows <laughs> all ready to go <laughs> in a very efficient way uh, okay next question I think we're going to lose to the, the insert credit crew on that one I just feel well, like if they don't do, know in advance that is a pretty hard question so that is, that is a tough one. Well, I'm not there. So they're, they're, they're a third, oh, they're they're a third down. All yeah. Right. Obviously my answer would have been the best. I can say that because <laughs> n- none of the rest of them are here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one is called Jaffe's near automata dilemma. Oh uh, God. J- oh, Jaffe, Jaffe is our, is our host. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about David, David Jaffe. Like David Jaffe. <laughs> not David Jaffe. <laughs> Not David Jaffe. We we, right. we have the best of all the Jaffes. All right. There's another Alex Jaffe, by the way, who works at Riot. We had we had hmm. him host the show once um, when our Alex Jaffe was gone. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So the dilemma: 
How is it that sometimes a video game sequel or follow-up can be technically better than the previous one in every way, but you still don't like it as much? So that's the near Automata dilemma. Mm. So am I to understand that a particular person who maybe wrote this question yeah. just really likes Replicant more than Automata? Correct. I mean, that's a very fair opinion to have. Yeah. I'm comfy with it. I like it too. As a, as a big near series fan. I mean, I think any if a game ends up feeling by the, the numbers almost no matter what, right? If it feels like clinical and designed and if it doesn't feel inspired, I mean, th- there are a lot of games like this. I'm not, I'm not like good examples are not popping to my head, but when we were reviewing games, I remember a lot of times it was like, well, it's technically better in every way. It's checking all of these different boxes, but it was just like, well, yeah, I don't mean that game kind of had its moment or, uh, a, 50 other games just like it kind of came out and the bar had been raised to the degree or, you know, uh, it felt like it should have had something by now that it didn't like it should have, um, on online. I was just thinking about this today with, with Dragon's Dogma 2, cause I was surprised it doesn't have like full real multiplayer. And I guess there's a lot, I didn't, I've been following it closely, but I guess on the internet, a lot of people were were asking that. People just kind of assumed, well, the first one had this full multiplayer. This next one's going to have full real multiplayer. But but yeah, I mean, there's so many ways I think it can go still be disappointing and still be technically better in every way than the, than the first I'm game. I'm obviously very biased having worked on the two games we're talking about in terms of Replicant, or I guess in his case, he's probably talking about Gestalt, but um, yeah. and then uh, and then automata but um i I don't think that well i I guess the thing that i take away from this is that i don't i think it's people who think the first game is much better than the second i think that's a fair opinion and people who think the second game is much better than the first i think that's also a fair opinion Well, i think that he thinks the second game is better but he still likes the first one more and that's Mm. that's the situation well that Mm. sort of runs towards where i was i was thinking of going with this which is that something that i notice more and more you know the older i get is that i think that you know and, and as a reviewer, I'm not saying this is something you need to consider necessarily or not, but as just a person who plays games and how I feel about them or felt about them, I think like your place and time and state of mind and whatever's going on in the world and in your life and everything at that moment really yeah. lends a chunk of like, like whatever that, that feeling you have about how cool the game was or how I liked it, this and that. A lot of that is also not related to just the game itself, but like you and your life at the time. And so, Certainly. you know, where this person was when they were playing the first near could also potentially have impacted that or, you know, it was the first time, right? I mean, there are some elements of it that get repeated, like not exactly, but I mean, it, the, the general format of the second game is kind of roughly similar in, in how you replay it and mm-hmm. you different things happen and stuff happens at the end and blah, blah, blah. And so the first time is always going to be a little bit more, if not magical, something, right? Whatever it was to you, probably it was the first time. So it was it was genuinely fresh. So I'm um I'm a very hardcore, you know, games as art kind of person. Mm. And when when you said the the prompt of you know like even if this is technically better i'm like Mm-mm, what is technically better sure. come on that doesn't mean anything you know it's it's purely there are different systems or there are different mechanics maybe this one's a lot more complicated whatever that doesn't right. matter well i was thinking maybe technically more in terms of just how hardware performance cuz the first game did kind of chug a bit right That's like true. Well, <laughs> but, it was a different time sure. it's, you know that doesn't that doesn't reduce your enjoyment if you're having a good time with it. But I think with these games in particular, the characters probably play a really big role because such a big part of the enjoyment of those games is the banter and listening to them interact with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have a really soft spot for Pod talking to you and giving you those little hints, you're going to enjoy that. But I personally much prefer listening to Kaina and Vice rag on each other the whole time. You know, those are some of the best lines in the game as far as I'm concerned. 
It's, it's interesting, again, back when we were reviewing games a lot, because we would talk about this kind of thing a lot. I do... I. You can now remember a couple examples of like Perfect Dark was an example where I think specifically people were like, well, it's better in every way than GoldenEye. Like it's got more guns, it's got more levels, it's got more, <laughs> right? You're like laughing as I say it because it does sound ridiculous. But but literally this is the thinking where it's like, well, I guess in GoldenEye got a whatever, I, or I gave GoldenEye a nine, so Perfect Dark has to get a 9.5 or a 10 or whatever. And it's only then in retrospect that, it comes out where it's like, oh, wait a second. No, it is not as good. You can't yeah. think of things just as like this laundry list and like this is quote unquote better. Like to, to your point, uh, Tina, it's like, well, this had four modes and this one has five and this didn't have <laughs> multiplayer and this has multiplayer. Like, therefore, this one I should like it more. But like, yeah, it totally, totally doesn't work that way. Right. Yep. I was going to say. Were you in high school when you played the first one? That's the that's the big fact. <laughs> oh, there that's you a, go. That's, a good question. Yeah. <laughs> that's like that answer. Like, what's the best era? Like Saturday Night Live, they always say, and it's like it was whenever you were in high school is yeah. what they. Yeah, that replies to like wrestling too. Like YouTube has been feeding me old WWF, you know, back when it was WWF videos, and I'm like, oh yeah, this stuff is awesome to me, but it's probably so boring to anybody who grew up ten years later. But that's because yeah, it's the age you were and where you were. And also, everything. did you know that the best time for music ever was when I was in high school? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow, incredible. Yeah. Right? It's, Isn't it's that actually, funny how that works out? It's actually not not, tr- not true though for me. Though. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I went to high school. I, I was in in the nineties, and it, it was, was like all Limp the biscuit was yeah, raging. Yeah, yeah, it oh, was boy. all about the nookie at that time. Oh, my. I, okay, uh, with that, that's the end of that time. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Like literally right before this, I pulled up, I think it was probably the most recent episode mm. and the prompt was like favorite game train. I wasn't on that episode, so I didn't get to answer it. I was like, what the, what the fuck game has a train in it? The only train I could think of is the one in Final Fantasy VIII. Dance de Go has a lot of trains in it. That's true. It has all the trains in it. And then there's Final Fantasy VI, the train that you suplex. Uh, literally, I think eight is the only train I can think of. And like, that is a very cool sequence. So like, I'm not mad at having to pick that for my favorite train. Yeah. Like, you know, the only train isn't necessarily your favorite train. Yeah, but you could, you could sell it. <laughs> I, oh, no, I absolutely could. I could talk it up. Welcome back to the insert credit 8-4 podcast swap situation. TM, <laughs> the registered <laughs> trademark. The ongoing podcast swap situation. All right, next question. What is your approach to game localization purity? When can you tell that a game's localization team has taken too many liberties or uh, have suffered to adhere too closely to the original text? Mm, good I feel like some intelligent question. answers are going to come out here. If this side doesn't answer this one better, then I will be particularly I just felt my brain like literally melting while I was hearing that question. Um, <laughs> I'll go first because I'm the least qualified to answer this. Excellent. Because I have not been doing this for very long. For me... If I see the line, it can't be helped, <laughs> yeah. I know that this could have been done better. Yeah. John? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, that is a really difficult, I mean, it's a great question, but it's also a really hard question. And one that I think is, you know, it's almost even, it feels like stressful to answer at this point because of the way <laughs> different people approach this stuff. Yeah. But uh, I think that, um, I mean, purity, what is purity, right? Like, you know, I think that if you are translating stuff word for word to be exactly the same as what the Japanese says, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, but, but. Is that purity to some people or, you know, I don't know. Purity is sort of like what you make of it. I feel like. Yeah. For me, I, I prefer a rewrite. Yeah. I, I like a naturalization as the, a naturalization as though it was written for the first time in English. And so that requires changing things. I mean, our approach has always been, we, we don't want any, and this goes the other way too. We translate stuff into Japanese as well, but we don't want people 
whoever the target play, player is to feel like it was, you know, we want them to feel like it was written for them in, in the first place, even if it wasn't, it didn't start out in their language. Shouldn't have to, for example, like, look, if in the original, the original target audience was not expected to have to like look something up on the internet to understand a reference or a joke or what something is or whatever, then in the new language, I feel like they should also not have to do that. Right. And then yeah. it, it does get you into tricky situations. I remember the, um, uh, Alex Smith always brings up this example of a, of a kotatsu, which for people who don't know is, is a, only really exists in Japan, but it's a, it's a low table that has a heating element underneath and it's electric. It was used as like a murder weapon. And it, and it has a, a like a big, Woolen, a big blanket. Like a blanket. Usually, there's yeah. a blanket over it, and you can put your feet under there. And by the way, it's the greatest thing. Oh, ever. they're spectacular! They're, they're wonderful. Them. Yeah, but it was used as a murder weapon. This was kind of the crux of this novel, and so, but he did figure a way out of uh, very naturally working in without disrupting what was already there uh, a way of explaining what that was without, yeah, without screwing it up and without also forcing the not changing it into like you know uh you know there were some embarrassing examples early on in the gaming industry of stuff getting you know uh really well like the the hamburger or whatever what stuff was, i don't know what it was yeah like you couldn't have rice balls it always had to turn into a hamburger or donuts or whatever yeah and that those kind of challenges come up a lot and whether there's always a way to do it but it's sometimes not enough time. Mm. Sometimes not enough time or money or will to actually find the like silver bullet solution that's going to actually like yeah, yeah. ride that balance between authenticity and being natural. Yeah. I think the first thing anyone needs to understand is that a translation is a creative work in itself, and it's not going to be exactly the same as what the original you know thing was. And if you really want that that ultra, you know, quote unquote, pure experience, learn the language. language. And I mean it, like I'm not being insulting, like that's the way to get that. But otherwise, you know, understand that, you know, five, five amazing translators can translate the same thing, five very different ways. And it's not like any one of them would necessarily be the wrong way to do it. But I think like on a more broad level, when we're doing games and stuff like, you know, is the player supposed to laugh here? Is the player supposed to feel like a funny little tickle for whatever reason here? Are they supposed to be sad? Are they this, that? Whatever the emotion that they would have experienced in the original language, like I think capturing that first and foremost is important. That doesn't mean you can just stop there. Like you have, you know, that doesn't mean, oh, right, write whatever the hell I want as long as he laughs. No, like it needs to be localized, you know, carefully. But I think ultimately, if you're not eliciting the same or similar emotions from people, to the context that it makes sense to do so, then you're, you're failing. Well, it's, a, it's the author's intent, right? It's the author's intent. And the problem with a lot of localization is a lot of times you don't have access to the author. It makes a huge difference places that prioritize localization. Yeah. Like, like for speaking broadly, like Nintendo got on this early where they, especially with the first party stuff, they're t- in the room talking to the people and they're like, well, we could do this or this and like explaining the, the, the nuance of the different options and whatever. That's not always a great thing to have the author involved to that extent Uh, a lot of times the author might think that they understand english or japanese to better than they actually do but having access to them to at least find out what were you going for here it feels like you were trying to do this like confirming what their intent was and being able to follow that with what you do i feel like is yeah yeah important no matter what i i worry about that because i feel like people localizing my games may not know when i'm making jokes yeah, oh, absolutely. My, my, my jokes are like hyper dry, but very funny to certain people, but <laughs> also it complete, the sentence, completely, just very completely funny. imperceptible to others. It can get really like undertale. If you like, if you go into the, the different levels of 
stuff that's going on with the different types of humor and things in Undertale. I mean, this is really hard. Some people aren't going to get it like you're talking about just in general, much less the one person who happens to be assigned to translate your game. And so I think that's where, yeah, like really meticulous notes also come into play where it's like, I mean, and that's what happened with Undertale, right? A lot. Yeah. He was super involved Toby was leaving. Here's what this actually, it's funny because you don't even think about it yourself. Sometimes you just put it down there and you have to go back and actually explain to somebody why this is a part, why you found this amusing or why it's supposed to be disturbing or, or whatever. I let us run 30 seconds over because you said the word undertale. Generosity. (laughs) Which game studio has produced the greatest number of good games without releasing any bad ones? Well, I don't think is there a studio that hasn't made any? My, my employer, uh, Enhanced Experience <laughs> Incorporated, I feel like should be mentioned at this time. That's right. 87 Metacritic. I might have just been making a PowerPoint presentation, but six games, 87 Metacritic. No, no, no negative reviews. Metacritic average. Take that for your will. What you will. No, um, without releasing any. I think the easiest. Bad ones. The way that I would usually cheat when I was a panelist on this sure. show is I would choose someone that only released one game. Uh, <laughs> so well, like, if you want to get away on a technicality, yeah, there are lots yeah, of, lots Disco of Disco Elysium, that team, they, uh, <laughs> they've uh, released, but that's, that's not, that wouldn't be the most cause it's only one. So, uh, if we can find two, then we're, we're in business. I think about, I think about, uh, super giant a lot because the thing that I'm amazed by them is how quickly they generally do their games because a lot of places when they have a big success, uh, they get, I don't know. I'll tell you when I have a big success, but I, I'm guessing it's either because <laughs> yeah. they are like enjoying their success or they feel pressure for the next game or there's lots of different reasons to not have them. They pretty much like put something out like every three or four years, I want to say. They and prolific. They have a real process. And, and I think a, a part of it is also that they've never taken investment from anyone mm-hmm. so and never had a publisher. And you know they get crazy offers probably oh, every yeah. day. Oh yeah. But they're they're in control of their own destiny and so they can yeah. they can make a plan and stick to it. Uh but most companies, including mine, can't make a plan at all. So that's, <laughs> that's very- it's very impressive. Who else? Who else are some... Um, the answer is Sega, because no Sega game is bad. All <laughs> delightful. That's not true. Isn't uh, Angry Birds is a, is a Sega game now, right? Yeah, uh, Not technically. Not, well, no, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I was but trying Angry to Angry Birds is good? Well, yeah, sure, for some people. I mean, yeah, that's not fair to say that it's bad, but it's not, it's not for me. It's certainly fair to say it's not for me. Um, I was trying to think of like, if there's any companies that actually has done a lot of games and managed to at least come close to this, but yeah, that's difficult. I mean, you know, I was thinking of like, even like if you pick an era and a time like Konami NES era was pretty great, like 98% of the time, but they still had their duds in there, you know? I mean, Valve, I don't play their card game or whatever, so I'll throw Valve out as a, as an idea. They're quite consistent. Yeah. Do they have a bad one? That's because they they put something out like every 13 years or something though, right? Like, I mean. There had to have been a bad Valve game. Probably they early like some on. FMV game or something early on that we don't know about. There, there's, there's some nodding happening off, <laughs> I know. off mic here I know. Uh, about a bad Valve game. <laughs> but uh, we're never going to find out what that I was. I don't count that card. I don't count the card game. Gabe, yeah, so I don't know. Oh, okay. yeah, nobody here knows what the hell that thing was. It only existed for like two months, to be fair. Um, I'd put them out there. They're pretty good. What are some Japanese? There's some, there's some Japanese. Well, the, the, 
the problem is all of the Japanese companies are so long in the tooth, the ones that still exist. That, that they, sooner or later, you put something bad out. Has Vanillaware put out something bad? Vanillaware? I was just going to say Vanillaware has had mostly good stuff, I feel they, like. They've definitely put some mediocre stuff out, mm. I would say. Yeah, that... That one game, what was it? Sword Treasure has made mostly good. Mostly games good, but they've done some. They've done some kind of. Tre- Treasure had it was Stretch Panic and oh, forgot about that I like, one. I like Stretch Panic, but but like a beat them on. Uh, like the, there's like the uh dragon beat whatever. There's there's yeah, just like there were, I, I guess if you dig deep, yeah. Even Mischief Makers was kind of yeah. We mean, did we did an, a Treasure ranking episode and uh Mischief Makers did not. Rank that high. Um, Did Stretch Panic rate high? I'm I'm surprised to find I, a Stretch I, Panic I put, fan here. That's like I put, a demo. I put stretch Panic higher because that's funny to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we we got Stretch Panic up there somewhere, but we all had to acknowledge it's bad. The other thing is bad is subjective, of course, and so that is yeah. of course uh, true. I, I could very easily say Kavia never made a bad game because <laughs> because right. I love Bullet Witch. And I think it's great. And when I do like a force push and pull a bunch of garbage <laughs> from behind myself and it kills me instantly, uh, I still think it's a good game. So. I think whoever makes the EDF series, they've never made a bad oh game. God. That's true, Sandlot. Let's not, let's <laughs> not open that. As I look at Mark. By the way. What, you don't like EDF? That's uh, wrong. I mean, the EDF is a beautiful idea. Where's the bullets? Run through a terrible garbage. I need bullets. Garbage. I can't do that right now. 10 frames a second unplayable mess of how many more frames scheme. do you need that was 20 years ago though Come <laughs> oh on. They're, they're good now they, you know what frames <laughs> they're good now frames it's the same subjective. game still it's the same simple it's the 12 same, 2000 it's, game it's, it's come be- on it's better and more except the new one looks like minecraft nonsense yes. I, don't know whether, I don't know why they're doing that they, they they've they, but that one's technically made by ukes so it's not Sandlot's You answered fault. your own question with it looking like Minecraft, by the way. It's like, wait, if we throw, if we make things look like Minecraft, does that mean it sells more? Okay, that's time. Okay. What is the, but doctor, I am Pagliacci of video games. What? Wait, I don't even understand that question. We have to spend the first two minutes explaining that question. I understand the question, but I'm trying to parse it. I'm like, wait, okay. Who's, who's Pagliacci in this equation? Is the game Pagliacci? We have to figure this out. Is the game Pagliacci? Pagliacci, is it a person? Or is the game of the doctor? Is the player Pagliacci? I feel like I should know who Pagliacci is. At this you point. do not know this uh, story? It's, it's, it's the story of Pagliacci. The For the listeners, please. Oh, yes. Of, of course, course I Of do. course, of course. <laughs> so, someone goes to the doctor and says, I'm so depressed. And the doctor says, well, why don't you go see uh, the great clown Pagliacci? He's, he's in town right now. Uh, he's very funny. He always cheers anyone up, everyone up. And then the patient says, but doctor, I am Pagliacci. Okay. So All that's, right. All that's, right. That's, that's the situation. The tears of a clown story. <laughs> Got it. So now we're figuring out in this equation, where is the game? <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> what is the, but doctor, I am Pagliacci of video games. Oh. So like, is it not like Bayonetta? I don't know. What's your, what's your reasoning for that? Yeah. I, yeah. Talk us through it. I feel like it, they, spend so much time and energy and, and ha- it seem has such a seemingly big fan base, but it doesn't ever seem to perform. Oh, so I don't know. It's not, I'm not digging it. I'm just saying like, I don't know. I tried Tina. So who's Pagliacci <laughs> in it? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> I think one, one kind of perhaps sad example is what's his name? Yeo, the guy who uh, released friends of Riku Ishikawa. That, mm. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. The, there's a Russian developer, right? Russian I think, developer. Yeah. 
and uh, makes these games that are really good that people really love and find moving. And then if you look at his social media, he, he's just depressed and hates his games and feels like they're garbage oh, and puts no. it out and is like, well, That's there sad. it is. I crapped it out again or whatever. Oh, it's I'm so s- sad because everybody. So you, were, you were thinking developers because I was thinking of I was thinking of this in terms of video, game, any like video games themselves. But. I was trying to think of an example of like a game that seems like it's going to be really, really fun, but then it's actually depressing or it seems like it's going to be like an emotional journey. <laughs> See, and then it's just, my answer didn't even uh, make sense, but I was thinking of the game as like having its own feelings. And like, I was thinking, Oh, Bayonetta is depressed because Bayonetta is so cool, but it's not selling. If it came off as a dig, that wasn't how I meant it, but yeah, that's kind of, how, kind of how I was thinking of it. No, I think that does it. Well, I guess we've answered it. It's Bayonetta. <laughs> so, so that means, I'm going to move on to our lightning round. Oh, God. Oh, boy. So the lightning round round is where we have to quickly answer a series of questions. Oh, no. And Uh uh, based on one single prompt. And uh, the game this time is called First Person Pronouns. Bayonetta. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a Japanese first person pronoun, and you have to give me an example of a video game character who would use it. Not factually does, just like that's their vibe. Not factually does. It's just their vibe. Okay. Yeah. Okay, are we ready? John, we're going to lean on you. We're, we're, oh, man. <laughs> we're prepared. Okay, we're going to give it a shot. Okay, uh, number one, Watakushi. Uh... Very, mm. And you can talk it through if you want. I'm thinking of like the butler in the in the Nintendo like adventure game that came Famicom Detective Club or something. I oh don't know. yeah, he just looks like a Watakushi. Oh, that's a deep. What pole. a strange place to go. That's a deep. I, I did sure. trust me. I had to go somewhere, and that's where I landed. Yeah, that's good. Okay, know. we're 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 moving along. Atakushi. A, a, a what? Atakushi. 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 I don't know anyone who's ever said that. That's right. <laughs> so. That's right. Oh, Atakushi. Atakushi. Oh, okay. Not Atashi. <laughs> no, oh. that's coming up. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to make a terrible joke and say the, the, the car in Crazy Taxi. Atakushi. Oh, oh yeah. Atakushi. That's what hey, we're talking oh, about. high five. We can save. It. That's right. a good okay, one. that's the one. Uh, watashi. Plain old vanilla. Uh, that could go all kinds of... But it of- could be not vanilla. Yeah, that's true. I'm actually, I'm trying to visual, I'm trying to see if like a visual just comes out without really thinking, and nothing is coming out for Watashi because it's kind of just like the everyone. I yeah. see like a heroine, yeah, and like a... Sometimes you hear like the kind of evil mastermind though uses Watashi, you know, or whatever sort of thing, sure. but I still can't think of someone in particular, so... Mm. Pass. <laughs> On the most, the most generic it's, one so of it's, all it's of them. too applicable to too we, many we, situations. We have to answer it, so Mario, he's generic. Okay, <laughs> sure. Okay, Atashi. Uh, someone cute, obviously. Cute. Yeah. What about that annoying girl on Star Ocean? What is she? You know, oh, you know the one I'm talking about. Uh, I forgot her name, but yeah, that doesn't help. Yeah, Star Ocean Four, the girl who ends all her sentences with uh, K. I don't. Yeah, she's an Atashi kind of type. <laughs> any, okay. any like, I, I, if you say that, I, I picture like a three or four foot tall, like small girl in a dress, like in a, who's actually six thousand years old. Exactly. <laughs> right. Of course, man a tree. Okay. Uh, Washi. Uh, the oh. old guy in Dragon Guard Three who like is obsessed with sex. I forgot his name though. <laughs> Sounds like a cool dude. Uh, that's another. That's we another we, we got to remember these names. Washi Octo was his name, I think. Maybe you don't remember you. I thought you would remember him. Yeah, he's a very um, perverse old guy. Maybe don't look that up. But um, yeah, he's <laughs> definitely a Washi. I feel like kind of. I guy. thought the first thing I thought of was a great Deku tree, but maybe there's one that's gonna be better for him later. Ooh, that's, yeah, that's a, a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, well, there's there's more humans, so we can use that one, uh, or more more characters, I should say. Uh, Boku. Boku asa. Link feels like a Boku to me. Yeah. yeah. He's a bit of a Boku. I could see it. Uh, those who have Nazi Yasumis, 
uh, would you yep. spoke it? Yeah, that's where my that's where my brain went. Okay, probably. I don't know. I don't know what he does anyway. Yeah, I know. I think he's a Boku. Is he? I think he's a Boku. Like he, but he might, he might distinct, switch over some sometime. kind of weird, distinct. But one. speaking of with, uh, speaking of which, Ore. Kaine. 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 Kiryu. Kiryu. Kiryu is a is the first mm. I thought. Of. Yeah, but kind of is a good one. Not entire left field, but slight left fields. That's good. I like it. Uh, jibun. Jibun wasa. Jibun. I feel like it's a salary man. No, a salary man oh, character okay, would be okay. the would okay. be the watashi like, like if anything, bucho. right? Like a. Uh, oh, oh. Um, if we're going with that vibe, uh, the the normal type gym leader from Scarlet Violet. Okay. Wow. What was his name? I don't remember his name. You remember? Let's just accept that we're not going to know anyone's names. <laughs> Larry. Larry. Oh, that okay. guy was the best gym leader in that game. He was wonderful. Was his name really Larry, or did you just pick a random? Okay, that's good. Uh, and the last one, Oida. Ah, so oh, yeah. you got a <laughs> good answer not, for that how one. How can you not answer Sans? I was waiting for that one. <laughs> I was really waiting if that one was going to come up. Yeah, so, so we, we, we got an extra bonus question from uh, our host, Alex Jaffe. If anyone happened to work on the Undertale translation, uh, defend your choice of the I pronoun for Sans. <laughs> dun, dun, well, the, the people who, you know, actually worked on the Undertale localization on that level are, are wonderful Japanese translators who aren't here in the room. But I will say that uh, the lead translator on that game is, I think, one of the best translators in the business, just fantastic at this sort of thing. And I thought that when she made that call, and I don't know, I don't remember that she made it alone. It was probably a few people chiming in with their feelings and stuff. But like, we all knew it was like the right call. And then, of course, when it went on the internet, it caused like a sensation for like a day or two or whatever. But if you look back yeah. now, I feel like everybody couldn't imagine it any other way. Because a fan dub or fan sub existed, right? And it was different. It was certainly from, different, So yeah. people yeah. formed an image based on that. And so the fact that it was different, but, and I think that's, that's what's that Fangamer book just all about? Yeah, the, there is a, a book about the localization from Fangamer called uh, Legends, Legends of Localization. Of literally wrote a, book about wrote a book this. about it. <laughs> and, and yeah, when you, what you get from that is how involved and deep in it that, uh, that, that Toby was. Yeah. And with, with, uh, Keiko, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is the main translator. And yeah, she's that. one of the best Ida J's out there, period. Does, has done a lot of great stuff. And she, really, she, she's, you know, she's studied script writing and stuff too. She's not just a fantastic translator. She's an amazing writer. And yeah, she, I think she just nailed it. So like, I, I can't, I feel like I'm just not the person to defend someone else's like creative choice like that. But I will say like, I'm a hundred percent behind it. And I think it was absolutely the right choice. And I, I can't even see it any other way now. Excellent. So this has been insert credit. The answer to that question was please buy and read a book. <laughs> it's time for recommendations. Hello, I'm Alex Jaffe and welcome back to my show. I'd like to thank Brandon for hosting this episode with the 8-4 play crew while abroad and for getting these recommendations for our final segment after recording. Mark McDonald would just like to plug Enhance's games Humanity, Tetris Effect, Luminous Remastered, and Res Infinite. Find them wherever you find fine games of the video variety. John recommends following him on your social network of choice at John TV and to listen to their own audio program called 84 Play. And if you're interested in game development and haven't yet subscribed to Masahiro Sakurai's YouTube channel, they put a lot of work into localizing the English version of that, so please give it a listen. If you enjoyed this or any episode of Insert Credit, please rate and review our show wherever and however you can. You can also support us on patreon.com slash insert credit where you could become a patron to submit your own questions, listen to monthly bonus episodes, and get more exclusive content. 
If you'd like to sponsor our show with an advertisement or a personal message, it's easy and affordable to do that. Just contact us at show at insertcredit.com. You could also join our community at forums.insertcredit.com or find videos of these episodes on youtube.com slash insertcreditshow. Please buy Hyper Gunsport and Wishless Demon School on Steam from the Necrosoft Development Studio. This episode is edited by Esper Quinn with original music by Kurt Feldman. I'm Alex Jaffe, and I hope you like these questions I wrote because you haven't heard the last of them. With that, I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Tina Carter. I'm Mark McDonald. Hi, I'm John Riccardi. Bye. And your game has now been saved. Okay, I forgot to mention that somebody wins the show and nobody's here anymore, but the winner is Tina. Because I'm still present? No, because you said the fewest words and that was the best choice for this episode. Wow. Look at me. You win. Excelling with my brevity. Your your prize is that you get to do homework, which is you have to send me a question for the show for next week. <gasps> Wait, that's actually awesome. I'm so excited to stump everyone. You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. Thank you.